and welcome to the Brewing Network's newest podcast, Hop and Brew School. I'm your host, Justin Crosley, and with me today, my co-host, Nick Ziegler. Welcome, Nick. Hey, everybody. And also, we've got Alex Rumbles. Hello there. Both Nick and Alex are from Yakima Chief Hops, and they're here to help us with our, our latest endeavor here on the Brewing Network. And I think it's actually maybe one of the most important endeavors we've ever taken on because it's about everybody's favorite ingredient, which is hops. So what we've decided is to bring you all things hops in a format that you can understand and to educate you. And really what Nick and I came up with in the beginning was that there's kind of this gap in knowledge about hops in the in the brewing world, uh, not only with brewers, but with consumers also, even though it's everybody's favorite ingredient, it's the one we all like to talk about the most. There's been kind of this gap in uh, in all of the different knowledge and research and science behind hops, right? Absolutely. It's one of those things where it's uh, kind of the, the key driver of a lot of craft beer and just the thing that we really focus on when we're drinking. Um, and I mean, just as a brewer, there was uh, a lot of technical work done, but it really didn't sort of apply to, to, to the way brewers are working with hops. And um, it's really they're really kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, since the Brewing Network started, uh, gosh, almost 14 years ago now, there's been so much uh, research and discovery done in the hop market, right? Uh, and and we've barely scratched the surface. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the amount of stuff we don't know about hops and how they behave in beer is just, it's just astounding. Um, and so we're actually doing a lot of work. I've got a really good team behind me. Um, you'll meet some of them later on. Um, and, uh, we're, we're trying to understand exactly what's going on with this wonderful plant in our beers and helping brewers how to make the best beer they possibly can with it. Um, and we're finding out some just crazy cool stuff. I love it. So we're going to bring you that here. Really, our goal is to connect the world's finest brewers and home brewers with more knowledge so that we can all drink better beer, which, let's be honest, that's kind of the goal. This is a completely um, self-serving right. uh, uh, show here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our, our idea was, in fact, even when we started the Brewing Network, it was the same thing. Um, you know, homebrew uh, didn't taste very good to me. I went to my first homebrew events and just thought, oh, man, we need some work here. And years later, after just getting out more education, it just got better and better. And so if we can do a little bit of that on this show, I think we'll all be pretty stoked, right? Absolutely. That is the goal. All right. So, like I said, this is Hop and Brew School, and uh, let's just get you uh, get to know our hosts a little bit. Uh, of course, I- I'm Justin Crosley. I'm, I'm on most of the shows you hear uh, here on the Brewing Network, and uh, my job is really to facilitate what happens here on the show and try try to get the, the real stories behind hops, get more education out there, and, and really dive into the details. And I do that best because I know virtually nothing. Uh, I've always said that I'm like, I'm the one guy in the beer industry who, who, who knows the most about beer while also knowing absolutely nothing. So I'll be asking the tough questions. Along with you, our listeners, uh, you'll be able to communicate with us. You can write into hopandbrewschool at thebrewingnetwork.com and send your questions, topic ideas, anything you want. Um, let's learn a little bit about Nick Ziegler. Um, Nick, you, you've been a home brewer before you ever started working professionally. Absolutely. I went pro. Um, I've actually gone pro a couple of times. But um, back back when uh, teaching salaries paid more than brewer salaries, which is... Uh, 
a nice change in the times, just so you know. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I was uh, I started homebrewing illegally uh, at 18 with my chemistry partner under our uh, under our desks because we were doing fermentation projects, and then ended up with a bunch of uh, ginger beer, and we decided to do many repetitions of that experiment in class. Wow! Uh, and and have much more fun lunch hours during our 12th grade year. <laughs> um, and then um, yeah, I was a pretty early listener on on the Brewing Network when I was in Mexico, um, doing a lot of homebrewing there. And uh, eventually moved into it. And I just uh, most recently finished up my stint um, as the director of production and operations at Magic Rock Brewing in the UK. And before that, I was one of the senior brewers uh, responsible for new product development and process improvement and basically just busting out all the beer at BrewDog and Ellen. Um, and, you know, wow. it was great experiences, both of those. I remember getting emails from you early on in the in our show history. And I remember being and being excited because you were from uh, you were emailing me from Mexico, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Wow, we already have an international listenership." <laughs> uh, and it was very cool to get to know you then. That was that was good fun. I remember the uh, the beer Olympics. I think I competed in the long pee and the bad beer chug. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, little fact, I was actually at work doing that. So wow. um, whoops. I love this. Yeah, we used to do the beer Olympics back in our early days. We haven't done them in years. They got ridiculous. We made people drink vials of, of White Labs yeast. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the good old days, Nick. <laughs> so you come with a great homebrewing background, and, and then now you work for Yakima Chief Hops. Yeah, so I was actually a, a I mean, as I've been a customer of Yakima Chief for, for years, so I actually come at all this from a brewer's background. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, as, as I said, sort of every year, um, I would put out calls for, for hops and we'd go select hops and, and see, see what hops were out there. And I just kept coming back to YCH and got to be friends with these guys. And then yeah, last right. year, an opportunity opened up and, uh, I am now the director for technical solutions at Yakima Chief Hops. What does that mean exactly? Um, director for technical solutions. Good question. No, uh, <laughs> still figuring it out. Oh well, you know, hey. Um, well, we're basically we're trying to connect um, our family farms because we're all grow our own company to our like to, to the world's finest brewers. Basically, that's that's sort of the tagline. But really, um, my department is all about trying to help um, our uh, growing and processing and brewing arms all make better products. So okay. we are we are work on new product development, process improvement. Um, a huge amount of research. We just built a new lab, um, actually two new labs, um, focused on looking at um, what are the compounds and hops that differentiate them and how to get them um, into beer and how they work in beer and during the fermentation process and how they change and all that stuff. So we're really just about basically the sort of thing I say is I get paid to do this stuff yeah. uh, and I'm pretty psyched <laughs> about it. <laughs> That's great. Dream job for you. Pretty much. It's the questions I wanted answered for the last you know 20 years or so and uh I'm getting paid to do them Love to answer them. All right. And like I said, we've also got Alex in the studio with us, who uh, is also with Yakima Chief Hops. Uh, and give us a little bit about your history in the industry before you got here. Yeah, I'm uh, born and raised in Yakima, Washington, actually. Um, spent some time on the west side of Washington State, which is much more wet than um, you'd uh, than, than what we're used to in Yakima. But um, I have spent 10 years in the restaurant industry handling operations uh in uh, bar and brewing and purchasing and eventually migrated into restaurant marketing in Los Angeles for um, several years. So uh, I recently found myself back in Yakima. It seemed like a practical choice for um, 
me and uh, and my wife and my family, and it's um, it's great to be back in my hometown. And now that I'm of age in Yakima, there you I'm go. Now um, I'm um, now more aware of um, hops and the growing beer industry in Washington State. So um, just like Nick, I'm uh, can't believe this is my job. It's uh, it's a terrific opportunity, and I am currently with Yakima Chief um, and uh, oversee. Um, Communications and outreach, as well as um, events, PR, social media, and um, international trade shows. So that's kind of where I where I stand right now, and I'm really excited to be involved. You get to do some travel for beer. I do travel for beer, yeah. so that's um, definitely a solid perk. I mean, it's not as much as as Nick does. I think he just got off of a plane from China, but I am um, definitely. Um, <laughs> definitely loving that part too yeah can't beat beer travel <laughs> hey man beer brought me here <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh these are some of the reasons that the brewing network decided to team up with yakima chief hops because they just have a, a wealth of knowledge uh contacts in the industry we're going to be bringing in uh hop hop growers hop scientists uh obviously we're going to bring in brewers uh who, who we consider uh masters of their craft in terms of using hops and and i just thought here at the bn that uh yakima chief would be a, a perfect partner and uh what what better co-host than a than a listener <laughs> a long time <laughs> listener yeah uh all right so what kind of topics do you think we're going to cover and i'll tell you right off the bat today we're just going to kind of give you a hop basics um but we're going to dive in uh, we're going to dive in deep don't worry even today in the basics we're going to be talking about some of the chemical compounds um, and different ways to identify hops so we're going to dive in pretty quickly but even later on we're going to go even further with more science uh more technology you name it um we've got uh troubleshooting topics i think on our agenda right to help brewers figure out uh some of their issues absolutely we've got troubleshooting topics we've got uh sort of brewing utilization so you know trying to get the most out of your hops and what you want to want to get out of them uh you know picking the varieties picking combinations of hops uh really deep dive into hop chemistry um even some genetics later on and some growing um all bunch of stuff that's going to be really, really fun. I mean, we could probably make uh, individual episodes or even series of episodes out of every topic that we're, we're, we're mentioning. Yeah. Um, I like to get in the weeds of things, so uh, Justin's going to have to rein me in a little bit, y'all. So uh, <laughs> I do apologize for that in advance. Uh, but uh, we are going to bring in, as Justin said, the, the best brewers we can, as well as um, I've got some just – a wonderful team of geeks um, from hop sensory brewing and um, hop chemistry that uh, you're going to get to know pretty well. Love and uh, they're going to show some pretty, or they're going to demonstrate some pretty cool stuff. And uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm excited. This show has been a long time coming for the Brewing Network. So I think it's a perfect fit. And I will rein you in a little bit, but uh, fear not, listeners. We will get technical and dive into some of the things that uh, you've been wanting to learn about hops. All right, so as promised, today's our Hot Basics show. We're going to set you up with some of the things you need to know for the rest of our episodes. Um, and, and I'm going to start real simple, Nick. Uh, what are hops, man? Hops are the flower of the humulus lupulus plant. Ugh. Sorry, guys. Um, and it's in the family, family Cannabinaceae, so uh, it is the cousin of the cousin. We call it the cousin uh, here. We call it the, the cousin here. Yeah. Um, and uh, they are really responsible for um, the primary sort of flavors in traditional beers. So they are 
Um, hops are what provide the bittering uh, via alpha acids and beta acids. Um, they're what provide a lot of uh, foam stability and, and, and foam in beer, not just the proteins from the malt, but um, you get some, a few proteins from, from hops. Mostly you end up getting some polyphenols that are really active there. Um, and some of the, the isoalpha acids bind together to create a nice stable foam. And then they, of course, and most importantly to me, craft brewer, Got to got to stick my hand up for that one. Yeah, um, is the oils and terpenes and um, all the uh, um, like thiols in the compounds of hops that are the aromatics that we associate with great IPA. Um, and as y'all know, I mean IPA is what drives beer. Yeah. <laughs> Especially beer in America. Oh God! Yeah. I guess everywhere now. Now everywhere. I mean, it's it's, it's exploding. So in the UK, when I first got there, you could get like one what I would consider decent craft IPA. Um, I ended up working for the guys at BrewDog. Um, and uh, now, I mean, I think there were, there were oh, geez, there were less than 100 breweries um, of, of any note, really, in the UK when I got there in 2011. And now I think there are over 400. Wow. Um, it's just just exploded. And it's, it's gone crazy. I mean, the UK started out about 30 years behind the U.S. craft market, and now they have absolutely caught up and if not in some ways are being a little bit more innovative. Um, and it's, uh, it's really fun to see. That'll be fun to watch. I'm going to admit, I've already learned something. I had no idea that hop compounds, uh, were uh, partly responsible for foam and foam stability. Mm -hmm. So that's good to know. Um, what about a little bit of background in hops in general? And I'm, I guess I'm talking a little bit about how we even began as humans to understand and use hops in our life. Um, I think the, First recorded um, reference to hops is somewhere, I believe Pliny the Elder first described them, okay. um, and that's I think that's why the beer is named that. Um, and then later on, more modern, there's some stuff uh, that happened in the in the 700s, uh, but hops in in brewing really didn't enter the scene until um, sort of the mid medieval era. Um, and uh, at first, I mean, you'll you'll see them referenced as vile and pernicious weeds because they grow and they take over everything. They were actually first um, used uh, ornamentally. Um, because they're quite pretty plants, they um, and uh, they provide a great, great, great deal of cover. Um, but uh, the modern, the most modern history of hops, um, if you uh, if you want a really hilarious read on this, it's um, Hops and Glory by Pete Brown. Okay, um, he's like the Bill Bryson of beer, um, and his books are very entertaining. And he he, he sort of charts the the course of IPA, um, and it's uh, that's really where we're probably gonna gonna focus most of our time on as uh, IPA styles. But hops were used in bittering um, for beers to replace things like mugwort, and you know that hilarious commercial with the, that you guys have. Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> that one is. Um, I, that, I think that you guys put that out during the uh, hop shortage in 2007. Yeah, it was years ago, uh, and we we have some uh, hilarious commercials in our history, and I think we were making fun of all of those compounds. Correct. But even so things like Gruet, uh, we were using all sorts of other uh, yeah. know, spices and herbs besides hops, right? Yeah, so there were um, uh, some... Uh Jeez, uh, what's mugwort is is, is is one that's commonly referenced because it sounds funny, mm -hmm. um, but people used um, oh heck the uh, wormwood um, from because oh, yeah. it's really really bitter. Um, but in general, um, hops started to become popular because uh, they provided a pretty clean bitterness without a lot of weird other stuff. Okay. Uh, they weren't real harsh, um, and they also provided some preservative effect because uh, comp hop compounds or a lot of hop compounds are um, uh, antimicrobial or at least they um, shall we say inhibit 
some of the, the beer spoilage bacteria, okay. um, like uh, lactobacillus and stuff like that. So prior to that, a lot of beer got sour pretty quickly, and it was kind of malty. If you ever tasted just fermented malt with no hops, like a yeast starter, you understand why people want to add hops yeah, to them. Yeah. Um, you want a little bit of that, 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 that bite. Um, I mean, I'm a guy who can occasionally drink anything with alcohol in it, but God bless hops for <laughs> changing that. <laughs> Dude, tell me about it. Um, it's... Uh, I've had some some interest. So I've lived all over the world. I've had some very interesting beverages that lack that crisp bitterness that makes them refreshing. And man, do you really miss like a nice pilsner or yeah. something that's just going to be like, okay, I can drink like five of these and I'm going to feel good and I'm going to be good and it's not just going to be cloying and make me all bloated. Right. Um, and of course, to that preservative quality, there you know, there's the old legend about how the IPA was was even invented uh, by the English sending beer. Uh, what was it to India? It was to India, yeah, IPA. obviously, um, and and that really it was done not because we love the love the flavors like we do now. It was for preservative quality, right? Right. So they used to, and so this is another thing that people used to used to get wrong is that uh, it was sent across uh, the ocean in barrels, and this was about a six to nine month trip um, okay. through very changing weather conditions. So the the, the beer changed character a lot. Um, but the first pale ales were actually brewed um, in Burton on Trent because of the water, and so it actually allowed uh, the beer to be pale. Um, because prior to that, the, the pH was all wrong and you ended up with, uh, and most beers are pretty multi roasty brown and still most traditional English styles are. Yeah. Um, but those pale ales, um, they didn't gain a lot of traction initially. And, and this is all covered in Bill, uh, in Pete's book, which is great. Okay. Um, but, um, those, uh, they shipped those, he couldn't, couldn't sell them there. Um, uh, but the troops in India were, um, hankering for some booze and the only stuff that was available down there was Arak, which is this incredibly high strength alcohol that also tends to have a lot of methanol in it um, because it's fermented really warm in India and then distilled kind of um, <laughs> at home. Um, and so they were getting just horrible alcoholism and dying pretty early. And so the, the military was like, we got to do something. And uh, this dude who made this pale beer, I can't remember his name. Um, and he's like, well, heck, the Admiralty's buying. And so he sold him a bunch of beer. I see. Uh, first lot got their sour. They didn't like it, so he just stuffed a bunch of hops in the next pitched barrels. By just as important to know as I was saying about the legend about them being in barrels, uh, most of the barrels were actually pitched, so they didn't actually get an oak character. Okay, um, it was they were pitched so that they wouldn't evaporate and that they wouldn't get infected because of, of bacteria in the wood. Uh, he stuffed them full of hops to keep them um, uh, to keep them fresh and, and to make sure the bittering sort of lasted and to prevent any further spoilage. It, by the time they got there, though, these these casks have been dry hopped for like six to nine months, so there was a huge amount of hop flavor. Right, really grassy, really big phenolic character, or sorry, polyphenolic character, um, and uh, and quite bitter. Um, and so when the troops came back, um, they started requesting a pale ale of the type provided in India or yeah, brewed in India. They grew to like the taste. They grew to like the taste, and yeah. so so when the, when the when the troops started coming back, they were like, dude. We want some of this stuff, and right. that's when IPA really kicked off. So I can imagine that that first taste of uh, of this new IPA in India for, for the troops, and it probably also tasted awful. I mean, maybe less awful than than what you were say saying they were drinking before that. But I don't know about you guys, but when I had my first sip of beer, right? What was I? Ten? I don't know what. <laughs> a sip off a of dad's beer, right? It was awful. My, my palate wasn't wasn't ready for that, and and I'm talking about American light lager here. But it was bitter to me, and and it was awful. And you sort of you acquire a taste. Uh, I can imagine that that was similar. They hated it at first, but then acquired a taste for it. I'm I'm not so sure that they hated it at first because 
Um, the British are a uh, pretty strong drinking culture, shall we say. Okay. Um, and they would have been drinking beer a lot from a very young age in, in the UK. And a lot of the porters and a lot of the, the beer that they would have been accustomed to from, from a young age was quite bitter. It's just that this was a different type of bitterness, and it had other floral and uh, sort of grassy character, which is which is quite refreshing yeah. in the heat. I mean, you don't want to drink a stout or a porter when it's, you know, uh, 46 degrees outside, so 107 degrees wow, and yeah. 100% humidity. Yeah. You want something crisp and clean, and it's going to feel refreshing. Okay. So they're getting their hands on this stuff was actually probably a bit of a blessing okay i can say that my first beer was terrible it was a red beer and i what was the brand do you remember the it brand was budweiser regular okay with some tomato juice salt and pepper <laughs> and it was on the front porch wait you were nursing a hangover for your first beer i was five so oh, yes wow. okay. i think this is what it comes down to no it was more like a few tasters to decide that i actually despised it and uh it was um it was me and my dad on the front porch. I was five or six, and that's when I decided I hated it until I, you know, tried an authentic American pale ale IPA that okay. got me, rang me back in. Yeah, yeah. I, I think my first sip of beer was a, probably a, a Miller Light. I think that's what the old man drank. But my first, and I didn't like it, of course. I was also too young. Um but then when I came of drinking age, you know, 16, 17, whatever that was, uh, my first Twelve. my first beer I had myself had to be like a natural light or something like that. Yeah. What Good was yours? Nat- oh, my first beer that I had myself? So, I, again, I grew up overseas, so I got pretty lucky on this. That okay. Drinking ages were um, established, but definitely not enforced. If you could reach over the bar, you could get something. Okay. Um, uh, but also, I was this tall white dude in Asia, so that was easy. But my first beer that i really bought myself was probably san miguel in the philippines okay um and uh i still have a soft spot for my heart in that be- for the in, or in my heart for that beer yeah um but it's in, it's made in the philippines that they're, they're they make it wonderfully well but storage and logistics in the philippines isn't great so they'll be like crates of beer sitting out in the dock in the sun when it's 110 degrees outside right they're in brown bottles so they're protected from the light but man they're pretty much pasteurizing the beer through natural weather conditions. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's pretty special. All right, well, this is a perfect segue. And as the series uh, goes on, we're going to dive into different things about uh, spoilage and how light affects hops and and you name it. But I think this is a good time to start to talk about some of the compounds that are in hops, just to set us up for a basis of, of the rest of our series. Right. Okay. So, um, as I mean, we're all brewers here, so we, we all pretty much know this, but the... Um, Really, sort of the majority of hops are in the world are used for their alpha acids, and that's um, all the big brewers in the world. You, you, we, we talk about hops in terms of uh, kilograms of alpha as a, as a unit of measurement because that was what traditionally people cared about was how many, how much alpha acids does this does this particular hop cone provide, um, and so we can use that for bittering. It's very easy to measure, and it's something that provides the bitterness. So once you take the alpha acids and you isomerize them mm-hmm. in hops, that's through or sorry in brewing, that's usually through boiling, okay. um, in the presence of certain salts and and, and the heat and stuff, um, that provides that bitter snap to um uh to the to the beer and beta acids also contribute bitterness um and together those two compounds are actually very very uh responsible for the preservative effect of hops they will stick on to the uh cell coats uh, or the coats of, of yeasts 
and of bacteria. Okay. Um, and you'll actually we'll actually get into this later on about how um, how much bitterness drops out when you drop your yeast out of your beer. But um, those are that's that's the primary usage and the tra- most traditional usage of hops is for the, is for those bittering compounds. Okay. So stick them in the boil. Boil them for at least 60 minutes, sometimes up to 90. Above about 120 minutes, you don't really get much uh, uh, increase in, in bitterness from them. Okay. Um, but then uh, uh, that's what provides that sort of clean, crisp snap at the background. On the flip side of that, you also have the, the top notes, um, and those are the those are those sort of reside in the oils. Um, and so the the compounds um, that are of most interest to myself and of, of most interest to, to to most craft brewers are going to be in the oil fraction of, um, of hops. And you get these oxygenated species, which are not oxidized, is a different term, um, of things like terpenes, sesquiterpenes, monoterpenes, um, aliphatic, uh, sorry, um, uh, esters, and a bunch of other compounds that uh, provide ranges of flavors. So fruity, uh, tropical fruit, you can get some stinky flavors, kind of like garlic and onion. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are from thiols, but some of the thiols also um, will contribute certain tropical fruity notes. And um, right. hang they, on, I'm going to stop you here. Yeah, great information. Too much. I'm just dumb. So I want to <laughs> I want to slow down. And I I know that terpenes are going to come up a lot mm-hmm. in our in our podcast, right? And terpenes are found in all sorts of uh, things, including uh, the cousin. So what are they exactly? What's a terpene? And 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 then you were starting to mention some of the things that uh, that affect. So are terpenes things that are going to give me flavor? And aroma? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and they're part of the oils? Yes, they're in the lupulin okay. glands. They're part of the oils. Um, okay. So all these compounds I'm talking about are, are in the oils. Okay. Are, are, are they're, they're considered constituents of hop oils, so they're the components of them. Okay. And so you get basically, um, I can, I'm, we're going to come back to this in hop chemistry 101, 201, 301 through 650,000 <laughs> right, right. uh, when Pat gets here. Um, but um, all these compounds, they provide different things. So... <clears throat> the terpenes are typically sort of the top notes, really. Um, and then you have things like uh, thiols, which yeah. are sulfur-based compounds. Okay. And those are um, really important. Um, some of, fr- frequently, they, they were referred to as sort of like the negative character. So you get some onion and garlic. You might get some mercaptan, because it's another word for thiol. Okay. Um, which is typically described in the UK as bin juice, or the way I describe it is when you uh, lift out a garbage bag from your kitchen and it smells like cantaloupes and coffee grounds and green peppers, even though you didn't have any of those things. I see. Those are mercaptans. Okay. But sometimes nowadays, these are even components that we like in our beer, right? As long as they're not too strong? Well, this is very much a matter of personal choice. Uh, This will also go into hop selection in another episode. Um, but the, uh, the thiols, what they do, so our human, human noses have evolved to smell certain classes of compounds and pay more attention to certain classes of compounds. Thiols are one of those groups because thiols typically indicated either fruit ripening, fermentation, yay booze, yep. or putrescence, rotting, spoilage. spoilage. Okay. Um, and so those are all very good things for the nose to, to recognize and pay attention to. Um, but in the right proportions and in combination with things like terpenes, you end up with this very complex fruit aroma. So just, um, I think there's a, there's a great paper that was uh, written many years ago about linalool and geraniol. These are two of the, two of the compounds. Linalool is typically considered the, or has been referred to as the citrusy compound. Okay. And geraniol as the flowery compound like geraniums. Um, and those two together are what have been traditionally associated with citrusy notes. Turns out that most people don't actually rate them as citrusy when they smell them on their own. Really? Or even together. It, you need some thiols 
in the presence. So 3MH, uh, which I could try to pronounce, but it's going to be huge, and I need to <laughs> have my book in front of me before to, to uh, do that. We'll put it in the podcast notes. Absolutely. Um, uh, those together then smell like grapefruit. Or uh, with 4MMP, they then smell like mangoes and pineapples and stuff. And so there's, there's a ton of different compounds. I okay. mean, there are about 1,715 that we've identified um, uh, that are of aromatic significance. Um, and I'm pretty sure there's a heck of a lot more coming. Right. We'll um, keep diving into that. Oh, yeah. Don't worry so about it. This is something that I've always loved about beer and, and even uh, allowed me to start the Brewing Network when I, wasn't, when I didn't know anything about beer. And that is that it can be as simple as you want it to be. You could just think about it as the four ingredients. Or you can dive into how these ingredients interact together and then how those ingredients interact with themselves because of the different compounds you're talking about and it just goes on and on i think we're gonna we're all gonna have jobs and our kids are gonna have jobs and their kids are gonna have jobs dissecting and learning about beer for you know generations to come god i hope so (laughs) yeah all right so i'm gonna stop you there uh just because we're gonna do an entire show on the uh you know chemical makeup and the different compounds about hops and that's coming up uh pretty soon in the series too Uh, But for right now, we're going to take a little break. When we come back from the break, we're going to start talking about the plant itself, Uh, the the structure of the plant, um, uh, the flowers, the the rhizomes, you name it. We're going to dive into exactly what this hop plant is right after these words. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Blickman Engineering. The engineers at Blickman are experts in professional nano-brewing equipment, as well as home-brewing equipment that will make you feel like a pro. Discover all the ways Blickman can take your brewing to the next level today at BlickmanEngineering.com. Welcome back to the Hop and Brew School podcast. I'm your host, Justin Crosley. Still with me is Nick Ziegler and Alex Rumbles, both from Yakima Chief Hops. And today's topic has been Hop Basics. So we're going to continue with that, Nick. Um, Help us out with the basic plant structure. All right. So hops are actually, um, they're all female, and they are propagated from rhizomes, which is a sort of the starch-containing root, um, and it uh, has a commensal relationship with bacteria and fixes nitrogen for the plant. Um, and from that grow these climbing vines, um, and they can get to about 15, 20 feet tall. They can actually get taller than that in nature, but um, commercially we train them up to about 15 to 20 feet, um, and they climb up, hit the top, and start uh, to mature. Um, once they hit period where they're, so they're photoperiod sensitive, and once they start that's their signal to flower. And the flowers are really what we're interested in. So the flowers consist of, um, there's tons of flowers on each plant. Um, and they are um, little conical cones, is what we call them. Um, and they look just like the hop grenade, as the logo. Um, and Love it. the uh, little uh, petioles and bracteoles and the bract, the leaf, the sort of the little petals on the, on the flowers. Um, are uh, the majority of the plant matter. And then underneath those, you'll see lupulin glands, these little yellow um, trichomes, um, just like they are on the cousin, um, except that unlike on the cousin, they're on the inside of the petals instead of the outside. Um, And they fill up with oils and uh, alpha acids and beta acids, which are the components that we're really interested in. Okay. And that's where we get the stuff that people are really familiar with, especially our consumers who are Mm -hmm. listening. Like It's those lupulin glands in between, inside. Those are what traditionally have 
flavor, aroma, all of that. Yeah, those are those okay. are what traditionally have held um, the compounds of most interest. Okay. And you mentioned in the beginning that they're all female. Mm-hmm. Now, is that to say that only the hop-producing one is female and there are males that have to get weeded out? Absolutely. We okay. rogue out the males pretty religiously because if you get um, one male in a field, you will no longer have beautiful sensimedia. You will have seedy uh, um, hops. Okay. And, uh, um, the hops, the, the seeds can be a problem in brewing um, because of lipids. If there's if there's way too many of them, but mostly it's because they will take energy away from lupulin production, um, and also because uh, they just basically change the weight of the hops. As you get more non very u- non useful hop material yeah. per per bale or per cone. Okay, and can can the males just like pop up randomly, or have is it really well done when when these are sort of um I don't know what, what, when any strain has been, has gone through the whole process of becoming a useful strain for beer. Is it then sort of preventative from having any males or? Yeah, so okay. we, we will keep males um, for breeding purposes only, um, but uh, you really don't want them in in your field for the right. aforementioned reasons. So every year, um, people go through and rogue out. Um, or is it weed out rogue males? Oh, so, they, so they do pop up still? Well, they, they oh, do pop up okay. because birds eat seeds and crap, um, and they come around. Um, and also, uh, free fields are frequently planted with uh, new rhizomes over old ones, and there may have been male plants in that previous field and so on and so forth. Got it. Um, you also end up with a top dressing um, that consists of uh, the ground-up material from previous harvests. Um, and there can be seeds in that. We try to minimize that, um, but you always got to make sure. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was curious. If, like this constant battle against it males. It is a constant battle, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So Yakima Chief Hops, uh, of course, is is based out of the, the Yakima Valley, uh, which is where Alex is from as well. So what is it that's unique about that area that makes it such a good hop-growing area, um, and even just your experience growing up? Sure. Uh, a common mis- misconception is that we are uh, wet and rainy and overcast. And I'd say that if you, um, just living in LA, just saying that I'm from Washington State, they say, oh, you must have web feet because right. literally it just rains and there's wind. And I got to tell you, um, Washington State's divided right down the center when it comes to um when it comes to climate. Okay. Um, if you go uh, west of the Cascades, more towards Seattle, Tacoma, uh, Bellingham, um, and even Portland and Oregon, it's, uh, it is it is wet. There's more rainy days than not rainy days. So that's what people come to know about Washington State. But um, going right over the Cascades, past Mount Rainier, past Mount Adams, um, Yakima Valley, it's um, quite the opposite. Okay. So, it's uh, the summers are extremely warm. The winters can be extremely cold. There's a lot more snowpack, um, very little rain, um, and we have a lot of water and we have a lot of agriculture. And um, it's a completely different environment over there on the east side of the mountains, a little bit closer to Spokane. So it's not a desert. Uh, we are a desert. It is. Okay. Yes, we are a desert, and we're not the um, cactus tumbleweed desert that you might think of. Okay. Um, but oh, dude, it's totally a tumbleweed desert. There's a ton of tumbleweeds. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's yeah. a high desert. But so. you have, oh, it is the high. Okay, so I grew up in a different part of the high desert, but it is considered high desert. But you're saying you also have access to agricultural water. 
Absolutely, yes. Okay. So Yakima is um, irrigated, and it doesn't make water a huge issue for us to grow hops, which I think is a huge benefit um, to um, our business and to the hop industry. Uh, I can say that in the summers, it gets up to 110, and in the winters, I've seen it below zero. So it's a wide range compared to if you were in Seattle, it stays it stays between like 30 and 80. Okay. You know, so and to give you some perspective. For yeah. our metric listeners, that's about uh, minus one and uh, 32, 35. Yeah. Okay. I'm Fahrenheit. And, and the climate we want, though, is is hot and wet, right? I'm Not wet in terms of rain, but hot and access to water. Well, it's access to water. So okay. um, you actually don't want it wet because excess moisture will lead to things like uh, certain pathogens like uh, mildew and mold that can that will destroy a hop crop okay so uh, you like the dry climate then you like the dry climate and you like um long warm summer days um and um the hop the hop rhizomes actually survive underground pretty well uh during the winter okay but um the uh, the, the all the water comes down via the rivers and uh, tap into that um from the yakima river go figure um and that's all snow melt and one of the reasons that the, that the yakima valley and actually even further east into Idaho is so fertile is because of all the volcanoes. So this is, um, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years of ash deposition from these volcanoes. Um, okay. Most of them are now dormant. Some of them notably not so. Um, <laughs> right. But um, all that ash deposition is really, really high nutrition in the soil. And so it's actually quite sandy soil and really good for that. Um, and plus we get the rivers, so they flood and they deposit alluvial stuff down from the glaciers and from the mountains. So that's actually really, really... Um, just really, really fertile ground. So now we're we're getting in really into the terroir itself, right? The the, the actual soil that's available and all those nutrients. Um, that's part of it. Okay. Um, so the thing about terroir is uh, that it's not necessarily just the soil and nutrients, although the soil structure does matter. Okay. Um, so if it's clay, if it's uh, rocky, if it's sandy, all of those things have impacts on how the hops grow and what compounds they produce. Okay. But primarily, it's the available nutrients and the microflora in the soil. So the uh, the microbes that live there. Um, will fix and will fix different nutrients, and uh, I mentioned earlier they have a commensurate relationship with some with many plants, um, and so the 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 native flora in soils is really one of the main determining factors for terroir. So okay. there was a great study released recently um, in New Zealand um, on Sauvignon Blanc and in the Marlborough Val- Valley, and they found that the terroir was totally due to the wild areas surrounding the Marlborough Val- Valley and the bacteria and stuff and the, uh, moving bacteria and fungi and Ascomyces and whatnot moving into the soil in the in the in the vineyards wow. uh, from those areas and you see that um, when this is also why uh, grapes grow so well in the Yakima Valley in that region is you get the same sort of effect okay it's very very um, dynamic soil life and uh, really good sun and dry so you don't get too many pests but access to water that's ir- uh, that you can irrigate with um, and it's kind of the perfect combination they do take a lot of water, right? Even though they like this dry climate, I my understanding, I tried to grow hops years ago when I was a home brewer, and I thought it was like five gallons a day or some ridiculous thing. It's so hops grow real fast. Okay. Um, so they're 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 akin to, uh, they're they're I mean their their growth cycle is, is is pretty quick, and they'll they'll hit the top of the trellises very very early on. So it's like you know they say yo you can watch kelp grow, you can watch uh, kudzu grow. It's not quite that fast, but it's not much slower than that. Okay. Um, so you can. Uh, uh, excuse me. Um, you can see a lot going on there. Okay. Excuse me. This is the part where we edit. Don't worry. Did I actually? <clears throat> did it actually sound? Or? No, you're good. 
Okay, so we've got all the nutrients, um, we've got more of the terroir, we've got all the water we need, we've got all the dry climate that we want uh, for sunshine in the Pacific Northwest. What's next? Right, so this is where we start to get a little bit into the weeds, which is kind of cool. So um, we're going to go straight to hop genetics here. Um, Okay. Hop genetic or so genetics is, is, is if people don't know um it, it's the, the sort of the all the, the the code of life of a given organism but genetics really only represent the potential for uh, certain characteristics so the phenotype or the morphology how the how the organism looks or what its behavior is or how i mean physical behavior not mental or anything like that sure. um is uh is coded for in the genes what it can and cannot do okay now expressing those genes requires triggers and so some of those things might be growth triggers, like Sunday or sun, sun like sun, days of sunlight, so okay. a photo period. Um, some other ones might be availability of certain nutrients or stressors or temperature swings or what have you. Um, and so basically, you have something called the genetics by environment or G by E effect. And hops are quite susceptible to that. Most organisms are, um, but hops really express very differently depending on where they're grown for two factors terroir, like we mentioned earlier, okay. and then the environmental impact. So hops grown in Oregon, grown in Idaho, and growing in Yakima will all smell and taste different. Got it. So now we're really talking about it, it just like in humans, and like you said, any other organism, we're talking about nature versus nurture. Absolutely. So, so we've so, got this genetic drive to do something, mm-hmm. but it's then affected by our environment. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and so uh, that's a perfect lead-in because the other way that um, hops can be can be sort of tweaked in a certain way is through agronomy, and that is agronomy being like farming practice. So ah. when you train them, so when you let them, when you when you wrap them around a, a, the, the 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 twine to go up to the top of the trellis, yeah. Um, how long and when you irrigate? Um, how um, what kind of fertilization regime you provide them? Okay. Um, so either through macronutrients like your typical NPK, so that would be um, like nitrogen, potassium, and uh, phosphorus, um, or also the micronutrients like selenium, strontium, all these other things that are that are quite important for some of the secondary metabolites, meaning the oils, uh, the oils and hops that we're that we're really after. Okay. Um, so all of these things come together, and you can kind of have this effect where you know a hop brand or variety planted yeah. in one valley or one region may express completely different character wow. if it's pr- planted somewhere else. I see. And in fact, it's not a may, it's a, it's a will. And so you're, you're, you have this uh, thing where you can either celebrate that difference yeah. and really be really sort of, sort of excited by, by the potentials there, or you can try to modify and manipulate your, your farming practice to try to keep the character that most people associate with that brand of hops or that variety of hops got it um in uh, sort of in within within certain error bars okay so you guys and and uh, at at yakima chief and and your growers um you can manipulate both right you can manipulate manipulate the genetic part uh, as you as you develop a hop and then obviously the environment part is that right to some extent. So okay. you're always going to be subject to the vagaries of nature. So a drought year or a very cool year is going to cause impacts, um, as we see around the world. Um, and, and so you can sort of alleviate that through irrigation. Okay. But again, if it's way too hot and too dry, you're going to actually be transpiring a lot of liquid through the plant. Um, and so it's going to, it can get heat damaged. 
Um, have there, there must have been years, even in the Yakima Valley, where this has occurred. Where, oh, absolutely. No ideal uh, growing conditions. Absolutely. A couple okay. of years ago, there was, there was a bit of shortage of water. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, there, there was a problem okay. for, for our hop yields. The yields went down. Yeah. Um, uh, this year in, um, in Europe and Australia and in um, the U.K., um, it was a really, really hot growing season for the hops, and that presented a problem for yields for the plants. Um, I have to stop myself sometimes when I'm enjoying a beer and remind myself that it's an agricultural product. Sounds obvious to say, right? But it's so much an agricultural product. It's a uh, huge agricultural product, and this is sort of the thing. Is, I'm so far removed from these issues that I just, you know, I just want a good hobby beer. Hey, man, that's why we're here. Yeah. This, this is why we're talking about this stuff, is <laughs> yeah. that, you know, uh, year to year, there's always going to be variation between right. between hop crops in terms of yield, in terms of um, characteristics. Um, and it's really, really important to, to sort of focus on that and understand that as as growers and as processors, we're always trying to provide the best we can. Right. Um, but we are subject to a lot of changes. One but getting the, better at it uh, every year, I would imagine, oh, as you learn more? By far. Okay. So, so consistency is, is definitely improved. Um, at the same time, we're also really excited by some of, as I said, some of the variants um, that, can, that can occur. And it's like sometimes like, wow, this is a you know, really not true to type, but it smells awesome. I see. Let's figure out what we did there and, and see how to do that. And so we're, we're part of my, my goal, my personal goals for my department um, is to really look hard at how we can use our agronomy to manipulate our hops sure. into either things um, to express certain things a certain way or to make sure that we're taking the best care of them we can. Got it. Can yep. you think of any specific times that an accident like that has has turned into something that I might recognize and know and love? Um, well, I mean, a couple of these things, uh, you could say they were discovered by accident. Um, like Simcoe was isolated from this one particular hill, um, and you might know it from Vinny's beer. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just had one yesterday. <laughs> yeah, they're great. Um, but then also Amarillo was discovered in a similar way where, you know, they're going through and going, what the heck is this stuff? This is not normal, what we normally did. And okay. lo and behold, it is now one of the world's most popular hops. And everyone loved it. Everyone loved it. Um, and look at Autanum. Autanum's a great story. Can you? Yeah, I can fill you in on uh, Autanum. Uh, it's YCR1. It's a um, Yakima Chief Ranch's uh, variety. It's or, their first variety, yeah. It's their first variety, and they've gone go on to name it Autanum because it uh, is where our uh, founding, I guess you could say founding father, uh, Charles Carpenter, whose um, great-grandson now works for Yakima Chief as our um, CSCO, uh, established the first hop farm in the Pacific Northwest, and it was in Autanum Valley in okay. Yakima. And um, to be kind of short and sweet on this story, they uh, this plant, this miraculous hop, um, res- had a viroid. Um, a hop stunt viroid. A hop stunt viroid. Which, which is what? It's a, it's a, basically, it's a, a, a segment of DNA that introduces changes, and it's from... Um, I believe it's from a virus. I'm going to have to double-check with Jason on this. But it is okay. basically a, uh, um, a situation that results in the hops not yielding the way they're supposed to. Okay. Yeah, so it um, it had a viroid and was virtually extinct for quite some time and until one of our uh, one of our employees, his name's Pete Venegas, um, he just randomly planted um, some rhizomes of autanum in between our warehouses in one of our buildings. Just to have some hops growing. Just to have some growing. For sure. Pretty. Okay. did some original um, YCR varieties. I think um, Warrior was in there too. But he um, 
miraculously, they they came, um, they grew, they got up to probably like 12, 18 feet, and they went and looked at them and said, hey, this is Satanum, and it's looking pretty good. So they came in with hazmat suits and like tried to extract all of these cones and be very careful with them, um, come to find out that it, they were 100% clean. So the, okay. two rootstock, the two pieces of rootstock that Pete used to plant um, are now supplying almost 100 wow. percent of the autanum in Yakima Valley, and they've basically re- <laughs> now, recreated this. Now, so that's amazing that that happened. What a great fluke! When you say though that they, you know, hazmat suits and they came out clean, yeah. was that because whatever was wrong with the the plant originally could have spread to to your other hops? Is that why you had to be so careful? So two things. One, as I said earlier. Um, Hops are propagated via rhizomes, and they, the, the way that happens is you actually take the rhizomes, so the big rootstock, and you break parts of it off. You split them, okay. and then you plant those other rootstocks in a new field, and they grow up. And it takes a little while for the, for the plants to develop, and actually this is going to be important in, in a few minutes here. Um, but in that case, um, those rootstocks were isolated from the majority of the fields in the valley because they were just in, in between our warehouses, mm-hmm. um, and the hop stunt viroid or the, the viruses that cause those things, hadn't actually made it to that area. Okay. So um, they hadn't actually made it to that area. So um, the... Um, Do me a favor. Back up to my question. Yeah. I'm going to edit that because of that door. Um, so that with the hazmat suits and, and finding out that these were clean, what was the importance there? Was something going to infect your other hops? Um, it was... The opposite, actually. We were worried about um, this rootstock potentially getting infected because it had been isolated for so long. So what Alex didn't say is that Pete planted these a long time ago, like years and years and years and years ago. Um, And so because they were planted and he he took the rhizomes from uninfected rootstock. So uh, the way hops are propagated is you actually break bits of of the rootstock off and then plant those rhizomes and then the hop plant grows anew from those things. So they're all clones of each other. Any, any single variety or, or brand is a clone of the original rootstock. Okay. So um, when uh, in, in the fields in the valley, um, the viroid had, had infected um, the, uh, the rootstock that was using to, being used to propagate it and it wasn't noticed until you know, quite late until all, you know, however many hundred acres of, of autonomy were, were out there and they started to behave a little bit weird. Uh-huh. Um, and so the, the goal was to see if this was clean and to make sure that you weren't carrying any uh, viroid DNA on you. Okay. Then analyzing them and then going, holy crap, you know, Pete Venegas's little pet project of, of fun <laughs> in between our warehouses saved this variety. Wow. And so they split them up and then they, uh, they planted them throughout the valley. And now we've got viroid free autonomy again, which yeah. is lovely. Did Pete get a massive bonus or just like a beer for that? Like what was uh, his reward I for think this it was, happy I think, accident? I think it's probably undying love from Jason Peralt <laughs> okay. and YCR. And yeah. bragging rights. And bragging rights. Uh, I mean, Pete's been in the industry since he was a child. Yeah, Six years old, I okay, think. Wow. He he's training. one of our most senior uh, senior employees and one of the most knowledgeable too. So. Oh yeah. So he's just expected to make mistakes like this, I think. <laughs> yeah, you're happy <laughs> mistakes. Yeah, he's been in it that it's a long. Happy little accident. <laughs> All right. So, do you think for 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 this topic that we've kind of covered the plant and and how it's grown, or, or is there more? There's of course more. There's one more thing that I want to want to bring people's attention is that because of the way rhizomes and, 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 and our, our hops grow from rhizomes and are propagated, there's something that people need to understand, is that when um, a rhizome is split, you're going to ne- 
it's going to stress the plant, of course. But then the new rhizome is very, very small. It doesn't have a lot of character. It hasn't got acclimatized to its field. It hasn't become comfortable with the terroir. Mm-hmm. And that G by E hasn't really necessarily started to occur. So rootstock age is actually very, very important for determining what hop lot you might want to use um, or so what, what, what field you might want to use. So um, anecdotally, what we found is that um, the first year of, a, of the baby fields, we call them the first year of babies, typically doesn't express the character that uh, people get excited about for a given hop. Okay. Second year starts to be a little bit more expressive. They also don't yield as well. So it's about 30, 35 to 50, and then you know 50 to 70% yield of the second year. And then it's really the third year, usually, sometimes the second, but usually the third year and onwards, that you really start seeing the hop shine. Like it's bedded in, it's gotten accustomed to itself, it's gone through its awkward teenage phase, okay. and now is, is really sure of who it is. Um, and the two of the best examples I can give of this recently um, are two varieties that, um, uh, the, the two HPC varieties that came out, um, one of them is Laurel, and one of them is Equinot that used to be called Equinox. That's what I thought. I, I was, I, yeah, there was, I actually read it recently and I thought, have I been mispronouncing it all this time? Yeah, no, okay. no, you're not, you're not illiterate. Um, there was a thing, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, but the, um, when we first isolated those, those varieties from in the field, so HBC 366 was, was Equinot, um, we were super excited about it. Now it takes about five years in elite status for, for, for hops, a uh, hop breed, to advance on to being commercialized. Okay. And it had been there for five years, and we started smelling around year four, year five. I was like, whoa, this is crazy, super tropical, super fruity, super citrusy. It's amazing. Well, year one, it got planted out, and uh, it kind of was insipid. I was like, well, oh, man, did we screw up? Okay. And then year two, not so great. Well, year three, which is, I guess, was 2016, 2017, holy cow. Wow, it's just this explosion of flavor. Wow! Um, and you'll see how I used it in a couple or, or a couple of later episodes. Okay. Um, but Equinot in 2017 was by far my favorite variety. Um, 2018 is now about the same year that Laurel has really started to shine. And holy cow! Before I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it's kind of pleasantly floral, but not that much there. Mm-hmm. Now it's like. Just this incredible citrus blast in your wow. face with some blueberry notes in the background and all this floral character, which is why it's named Laurel. It was kind of a floral, you know. Got we're, it. we're not very creative. Um, <laughs> just go with what and it that's is. A, and that, that uh, <laughs> Laurel is HBC 291, um, and that variety is just. Um, I mean, it's it was it was one of my top varieties this year. Okay. Um, and 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 top brands in selection. It was. Just, I I don't know that I've had a beer with this in it yet. Because um, people weren't psyched about it because they I got see. excited about it and they're like, oh, this is kind of boring. Okay. This year, like, I encourage everybody to get some 2018 Laurel because it is banging. So let me ask you this. If it takes three years for for them to express themselves like this, and by the way, this is after the you've developed them for I don't know how many years. About twenty. Okay, so I'm a farmer though, and I'm planting it now, and I know that it's not really going to express itself in all the ways we want it to in, until the third year. Does that mean that year one and year two I'm just growing and throwing away? No. So okay, this is something that that people need to understand is that a hop field, I think, and geez, I'm 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 behind the times now. The price has definitely gone up. But as of about 2013, um, a single acre to, to, to plant and to put the poles and wire in and irrigation pipe cost about $16,000. Okay. And it's a lot more than that now, especially since all the rope is or the, the wire is steel. 
So we okay. have, yeah, there, that's, that's an issue. Yeah. Um, but um, it's really, really expensive and really labor intensive to, to start a new hop field, even if it's just one acre. Um, so you don't, you really, really don't throw hops away unless they're um, ravaged by a pathogen like downy mildew or, or mold or something like that. Um, and uh, so people will, will still use them. I mean, they're still, still in use. Okay. Oh, they still have brewing value. They're great. Okay. I mean, they, they still have alpha. They still have oils in them, and they still they still taste and smell nice. They're just not nearly as expressive. I see. That's that's really so. The thing. So they they could still be a great bittering hop, or maybe you just have to use more of them to get some of mm-hmm. the floral components. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I just couldn't imagine. How is, I just thought, how is there any farmer on earth that can exist as a hop farmer if you're just growing and throwing away until these things happen? Um, well, we'll get into more of that, too, because we're going to do an entire episode on, on growing, and I'm sure I'll have tons of questions uh, about we're, this. We're going to have some superstars here for that. <laughs> um, so maybe one last thing to cover before we have to get out of here, if we can do it quickly, because I also know we're going to cover this in a future episode, but how Yakima Chief um, processes hops. Uh, because now we've talked about what it is and, and how they're grown, and, uh, but they still have to get to me. Uh, so can you give me a brief overview of that? I will try to be brief. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, there's a couple things. We have a program called the uh, – uh, well, first of all, again, our whole model is based on um, return to grower. So we're, we're a grower-owned company, so everything goes back to the grower. Okay. So it's, it's kind of a big thing for us to try to make sure that we get the right hops to the right people. So we're really, really careful about how we handle them. Basically, as soon as a hop leaves the bind, mm-hmm. it's only going to start to lose character. Okay. Um, and some of that character that it loses is, is good for brewing. Like we don't want to, to lose a lot of oil. We don't want to lose a lot of alpha. Um, but some of it's also something that we don't necessarily want. So you get a lot of uh, green grassy character, which is or, or, or sort of a, a hallmark of fresh hop beers. Yep. But anyway, so you take the, the, take the cones. They go into our, our pickers. They get separated from the leafy material and all the stems and all that stuff. Then they go to these giant kilns. And uh, we're really, really careful about our bed depth, our airflow, um, relative humidity, the temperature of all that, because we don't want to blow off too many desirable aromatics. So you've figured this out over the years, th- these kind of exact... We are still figuring it out. Okay. Um, that's something that we are we are heavily, heavily looking into. Every year we make tweaks, um, and it, it, is, it, it, it depends on the variety. Some clones are real fluffy, some clones are real dense, mm-hmm. and, that depend, and that determines how fast you can run your air. Okay. And therefore, on the inverse, how hot you can run your air. So if they're real dense and they'll, they'll stay in, in the bed, you can run your air faster, and cooler and still achieve the same drying. Whereas if they're real fluffy and they're going to float up, you got to run your air warmer, slower, so then you might actually blow some more stuff off. So we're, we're you know, we're always working on different things. Okay. Um, but then once they get they there, they get, they get, they get, go onto a floor, a uh, cooling floor. So they, uh, these, these kilns are huge. I mean, uh, one of the kiln rooms, actually a couple of the kiln rooms are like the length of football fields. They're, wow. they're really, really big. So they, these are, these are thousands and thousands of kilos or pounds of hops. Um, uh, per per load, um, they go down. So after that, they get conveyed down to a homogenization and uh, cooling room, so okay. where, they're, where they're cooled off, um, and they're let to sit between twelve and twenty four hours, mostly to make the moisture levels homogenize. Because at the bottom of the kiln, they're going to be real dry. In the middle of the kiln, they're going to be kind of wet. And at the top of the kiln, they're not going to be as dry because the moist air has moved up through them. I see. So then they're homogenized, um, and we do that to make sure that they're they're all okay. Um, because you can have some disasters with hops. If they're too wet, they can self-combust, which is really a bad situation. Um, like actual combustion? Yep. It's actually a, it's a, it's a runaway chemical reaction. Wow. Uh, and it's, there's, and you, can, you can actually just spray them with water, and then a few minutes later, they'll be smoldering again. You're kidding. No, it's, a, it's actually a real, real concern. Okay. And 
frequently, unfortunately, some of the more desirable varieties, like the high alpha varieties and the high oil varieties, are the most susceptible to that. Wow. So you got to be re- this is real fine balancing act. All right, we're gonna ha- in a, we're gonna dive into this later. Oh, I'm yeah. fascinated by this. Oh, it's it's really cool. It's cool <laughs> and terrifying at the same time. Yeah, of course. Um, but then after that, we um, we take them in. Um, we've got a really really rigorous uh, quality program called our Green Chief program. And we um, evaluate all of our growers based on that. And that's um, we're going to get into that in a little bit more detail, I think, in the next episode. Okay. Um, but it's basically your quality standards. Our quality standards. And, and there's, okay. there's, a, there's, there's 100 points on it, and people have to score like 95 or higher. Got it. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty rigorous program. I was a C student. So um, the, glad our, I'm not a grower. Uh, our growers are not. They're freaking awesome. <laughs> okay. um, and then um, once, 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 once they've met our quality standards, we run them through sensory. Um, and we run them through our GCMS profiling to make sure that they're A, true to type, uh, that they are what they say they are, and they have the appropriate level of oils and alpha, and they smell good. Okay. Um, and then um, we will then allocate them to production runs. So they're going to get pelletized, um, and so they get ground up by a hammer mill, um, and then pelletized very cold. We keep everything really, really chilly in our plants. Um, all the equipment and all the hops are, are, are cooled to make sure that uh, we don't oxidize or, or, or heat damage any of these, these labile um, materials like okay. the aromatics. Um, we can either send those pellets to be you know, sold as pellets for, for regular brewers, mm-hmm. um, or you can send them to extract for extraction where they're run through supercritical CO2 process and you get CO2 extract out of it. And from that, you can make a bunch of other products. Okay. Um, we do sell whole hops, um, like whole, whole dried leaf hops um, for, for brewers. Um, but typically most brewers prefer T90 or, or, or different formats. Uh, we also do sell fresh hops, um, but those are really only available um, so that within, I think it's uh, 36 hours. Yeah. Of harvest. Of harvest. Yeah. Because any longer, and they're going to start to degrade and wet hops degrade into some mucky, mucky compounds that we'll again talk about later. Okay. Um, and then um, we have two other product lines as well that we do, and that's the uh, American Noble and Cryo product lines that are side by side. But all of our measurements, all of our quality metrics are about retaining hop character and preserving that hop character. So we do everything as cold as possible, as careful as possible, and as gently as possible. Okay. Um, and the result is, um, for my money, my favorite hops in the world. Got um, it. And... Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's what I bought when I was brewing, and that's what I thankfully get to use now when I'm brewing. So <laughs> <laughs> in abundance, I'm oh, sure. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> you can just take the scraps. Uh, no, well, that's the thing. We don't really have any scraps, really, because uh, we try to be as efficient as possible. Any scraps that we do, so a big thing of our, our mission is sustainability. Um, we send a lot of scraps back to our uh, extraction. Okay. Um, so we we, sa- we save everything. They as can as, still as be used. Do. They can still be used. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I think that's a great uh, start for uh you know hop basics and as we said throughout the episode we're going to dive into each and every one of these topics and more in in future episodes and i'm looking forward to that so uh if you've got questions and you've got ideas uh for future shows uh or like i said even just questions about this one you can email us hop and brew school at the brewing network.com that's hop and brew school at the brewing network.com we'll be happy to take your questions right here on the air uh, you can also go check out uh, Yakima Chief Hops at yakimachief.com. Uh, they've got tools uh, about hops um, and and varieties, uh, a little bit of everything on the website right now. Yeah, there, we have a an online store that's coming soon. So if you are interested in um, buying your hops uh, directly through Yakima Chief, um, just throw your email address in our little search bar there, and we'll notify you when it's ready. It's it's a big innovative. Um, 
thing that we're embarking on in uh, very soon. So, okay. um, yeah, stay tuned for that. Um, and then if you um, need to find info on the current uh, Yakima Chief Hops you have, we have a lot lookup tool that's really helpful for uh, pulling uh, an- uh, alpha analytics, um, beta and oil and any other data you need for uh, for your hops. So uh, I filter through those daily, but I'm Hoping that people utilize that tool and um, check out our new website, yakimachief.com. All right. Go check it out. You can find this podcast or, or tell your friends about it over on iTunes and the Google Play Store, and you'll be able to download all of our episodes instantly there. Next up, hop selection. Right, guys? Oh, yeah. I have a feeling that episode two is already going to be one of the most popular episodes that we do because everybody wants to know about how to select the right hops for them, right? Mm-hmm. That's the goal. All You're right. Picking the right hops for the right job. So we're going to discuss different varieties, what characteristics, qualities, compounds, uh, you name it in hop selection. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Uh, Nick, Alex, thanks for being on the inaugural Hops Podcast. Thanks for having us, man. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's great. All right. We'll see you next time on Hop and Brew School.